1: From Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace.
2: Salam, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. I am Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. And here's my co-host.
3: Hi, everybody. Hi, Amina. This is Ayessa. And I'm based here at Albuquerque International University in Kedah, Malaysia.
2: Hey, Ayessa. What's happening
3: in Kedah? The weather is just so warm, Amina. But uh, this week, uh, this weekend rather, it's already a start. Uh, of our long weekend for Chinese New Year. Oh, that's right. But that's today September 9. Yeah, but today, before the Chinese New Year, today is a holiday because we are celebrating uh, the day of Israq and Miraj.
2: Oh, that's true.
3: For Muslims, yeah. So here in Kada, we, uh, we also uh, practice that holiday. Okay,
2: so I'm no... Today- how do they celebrate? Well, it's just like uh, an
3: ordinary day, but of course, there are prayers in the masjid. Yeah, but there are really no open or public celebrations for it. So you can, you know,
2: do your prayers in uh, individually or as a family at home. Well, the government just gives you a day of rest. That's all. And a day of prayer, or meditation <laughs> and prayers. Yeah. So that's growing right. up in Mindanao Ayasa, uh, Muslim Mindanao, we we didn't really celebrate that, right? We didn't even celebrate the uh, the birth of the of the Prophet. The uh, what we celebrated was really Eid, Idul Adha and Idul Fitir, that's it.
1: Yeah,
3: because in the first place, you know, for the national government of the Philippines to declare idul adha, it took them many years.
2: <laughs> oh yes.
3: That's we couldn't, couldn't really uh, insist or promote, you know, some of our uh, religious holidays, you know, in the Philippines. But here in Malaysia, of course, uh, Malaysian society respect all the Muslim holidays, the Chinese holidays, and even some of the holidays for the indigenous peoples, like in Sabah, uh, in Sarawak. So they do that. So it's really a
4: multicultural country.
2: Yeah, and uh, here in the Philippines, uh, Chinese New Year is now is also a holiday. So Friday, right? I mean, it's only in I think the last five
3: years that Philippines yeah. declared as uh,
2: absolutely, yeah, year. absolutely. So I think the Philippines outdoes Malaysia in terms of the number of holidays. <laughs> I, think so that's, that's so I think that our business sector really is uh, so. Frustrated by because it cuts down on on uh, productivity as you could very well understand, but you know Ayessa, when I was really thinking about uh, about the holidays, I couldn't help but again think about what's happening in Gaza and how our our friends there and the family of your students, how they are how they're faring, and uh, absolutely no celebration um, is possible. And then, thinking about Gaza, I started thinking about what happened in Holo so many years ago. You do know, Ayesa, that today, February 7, marks the 50th anniversary of the siege of Holo, my hometown that happened in uh, 1974. That was like a week-long siege that led to the burning of Pologne. Do you have any knowledge at all? Because you weren't born yet at that time, Ay, I'm also a of baby. I was born in
3: 1972 just at the start of the Bangsamoro Liberation Front, the MNLF. Yeah. That's true. I have to admit it, Amina. As a scholar, you know, I would include some of these uh, you know important events in our conflict history in Mindanao. You know, the burning of Holo Holo siege, you know, that's what we normally it's normally known for. But I've never really gone into you know, full introspection about what happened uh, to Holo in, in Holo rather, but I am uh, a little bit familiar because of my friends who are sons and daughters of MNLF. and So they would tell me stories about what happened to their families, and you, you know, you also shared to me stories of what happened to your own family. So, yeah, um, I it's like you know, uh, it's normal that you know I've been hearing a lot of all these personal stories. But you're right, you know, I did not really do a full introspection of what happened in Holo that time. So this is really an opportunity for us, you know, to discuss it today with the anniversary
2: of
4: the Holo. In 1974,
2: I was just wondering, Ayesa, did your parents know anything about what was happening in Holodatan? Because my recollection, and this has been verified already by mm-hmm. uh, by facts that surfaced after, there was a news blackout. Nobody in the Philippines knew what was happening. The first time I heard that my hometown was burning was from relatives from the United States. Oh, yeah. And they, and you know how oh, yeah. You know how difficult it was to make a long-distance call? Oh, no, you wouldn't. know. you were only two years old at the time. But in, in 1974, to make a long-distance call from the United States to the Philippines took time. And when, when our cousins called, I said, What burning? What do you mean? I had no idea and I was in Manila yes I had no idea that uh, the town was already burning I knew weeks before that the town was tense because of rumors rumors that the MNLF the Moro National Liberation Front would enter the town rumors that the military the Philippine military was ramping up its uh, defense of Polillo but you got, you know, I, I I got the shock of my life when I heard from my cousins that they 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 saw on their news, American news, that Holo was uh, bombed and uh, and burning.
3: What was the bomb that was used in Holo, or any of the high-powered uh, ammunition that was used in the first place? How did Holo burn? You know, what started all the fire?
2: Well also to share with uh, with our listeners what happened in Holo, the destruction that followed uh, is similar to the destruction that you're seeing in Gaza, except in the case of Holo, it happened in a matter of days in Gaza. The bombing is sporadic, and it's been months of shelling in Holo. The the movements of the military actually started January of 1974. According and this according to the released documents of the U.S. Embassy, you know how it is, right? The the embassies would uh, send cables to the State Department to inform them what was happening in uh, in the country. And according to their uh, their cables, uh, January of 1974 the embassy had already monitored escalation of tension between our military, the Philippine military, and the Moro National Liberation Front in the Sulu, particularly in Polo, my hometown, which was the capital of uh, of the province. So that's, 19- that's January. And their cables said that they... Uh, knew that a major offensive against the MNLF soldiers would be forthcoming. They estimated the number of troops of the MNLF based uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in Holo to, about, to be about 2,000 strong. And then the MNLF entered the town, Ayesa. They entered the town and then they started uh, fighting the military. They took the airport, and then the military drove them out of the airport, then they again retook the airport, the military again uh, got them out, and this kind of uh, fighting was ongoing for days, until the MNLF managed to cordon the town of Polo, which they were all very familiar with, because majority of them came from uh, from Sulu, many of them, many of the leaders actually came from Polo and then u uh, s embassy cables um, uh, talked about uh, how the military, especially the Navy uh, under then Admiral Espaldon, were prepared to lay siege. Then the bombing started. February seven, And apart from bombs and man to man combat, Ayesa, would you believe they used napalm? They used napalm. That really made the fire spread, and 80% of our town was burned to the ground, including our family residents. And the worst part, Ayesa, I was in college. So was my sister, Fatima, and uh, my mother and father who were away out of the country at the time. uh, They had received an invitation to visit some uh, Islamic uh, countries. They they, uh, made me take care of my youngest sister. So my youngest sister, Salma, who was at the time, I think, seven or six years old. I had to request the matron of the dormitory in the University of the Philippines, uh, request permission. Could my sister stay with me? Because I had to care for her. So Salma was the, was the baby in this, uh, dormitory that was designed for, um, juniors in, um, at the, at the university. And my three brothers were left in Holo. My aunt, my mom's youngest sister, who had just given birth to a very good friend of yours, Shalom. Oh, okay. Yeah, Fatima, who we know as Shalom. Fatima was one month old at the time. My aunt had just given birth. So my aunt, the baby, and her little sons, all in grade school, were with my three brothers in our hometown when the burning happened and I had no idea what was happening to them. My mother cut her trip short, flew to Manila, begged for a seat because nobody was allowed to go to Holo. So begged for a seat on a a military plane to go to Holo because at the time she was an elected uh, government official, Uh, she was a board member of the province and then was able to to go to Holo and see the burning, and she cried because all of the displaced people were at the pier, at the at the war. That was the safest place for them, and she could just see the burning of the town. And I was really wondering, ayesa uh, uh, those of us who you know can relieve the trauma of uh, that event, right? keep wondering: two Filipinos know anything about what happened in Holo that year and its impact on uh, development in in the Philippines afterwards.
3: That explains, Amina, why in Holo, there are no, uh, in the Holo town itself and surrounding areas, there are no old buildings or old houses anymore. I remember the first time I visited Holo, I think it was sometime in Year 2002 2003, you know, um, you know, I was invited by my friends to visit Holo, and yeah, it, it was only then that I realized, yeah, that that's why there are no old structures in Holo because of that uh history of the Holo siege. Yeah, that's really pretty sad for you know a place, your hometown, without any more trace of history because all these. Uh, structures that they were yeah Yeah. I know that your house now in Holo that's a new house right oh that's
2: new yeah my mother my mother had that built um, more than 20 years ago you know Holo used to be such a beautiful such a beautiful town our our beaches were so fantastic and I remember we were so progressive Holo was rich and did you know, Ayesa, that the Philippine airlines would fly to Holo twice a day? Wow. Twice a day, Ayesa, to bring tourists, even American right. tourists with a nice little hotel that was run by my classmates' family. They would go to Holo, stay at that hotel, go to the beach, buy antiques, eat uh, steak, because we had really good beef. In Holo, grass head. You know, and after the bombing of Holo, absolute chaos and absolute poverty. And it's so important, I think, for our young people to, to remember. So that's that's why I thought it would be interesting to interview some young people and uh, find out what do they know? Do they actually know anything about what happened? And does it matter? Does it matter to, to any of them what happened fifty years ago? So, what do you think, Ayasa? Should we view the interviews of these young people?
3: Yes, let's let's do it. Okay, I would also like to listen to them. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I don't ah yes, uh eh, familiar po, pero with no background. Naman. Yes, but I don't have any background. Darin ko lang siya as part siya ng Sulu ba? I think I think so. Yun lang yung narinig talaga.
4: I'm familiar with it na isa pulo dito sa Pilipinas, pero in terms of history, wala talaga akong awareness dito maliban siguro na nasa Mindanao area siya if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sorry. yes.
0: Yes, but, yes, but, yes, no. Uh, about the place, yes, but not this If so, I don't know the culture there that we Yes, because
5: I'm a Alam na, alam a slave. I know
0: I I never did. Honestly, I'm sa familiar with father. Well, I wala po akong idea about it. Actually, wala pa talagang ano, knowledge din about that. New topic sa akin and um, willing to learn naman if ano yung um, mangyari nung sa battle of polona topic.
4: Apparently, wala rin po alam about the history regarding it pero I'm curious to know it and I'm willing to learn about it. I don't, I don't know
0: how to do it. ko po alam. I don't, I don't know. Wala ko. Okay. I, I don't have any idea. Uh, truthfully speaking, I don't have any idea. But,
4: believe
5: that. wala po kong alam po. Sa koding ring, ha, koding ring sa nang natin, nagkaroon between MNLF and the, metal, the government, which is particularly by the law. Nagkaroon ng magbakan sa hulo. Noong panahon na 'yan, ang hulo, ano yun? parang nag, nagkasunog. Nagkasunog yung mga school doon sa Notre Dame, Notre Dame Apolo. In fact, mayroon mga tao doon na namatay doon din sa sa ano, sa brigid ni Camp Bautista. Maraming namatay doon. Make it short, maraming namatay, maraming kawawa na matatanda babae because yung time na 'yon, lahat ng mga example pag kaya mo na magdala ng baril ay eh, sasama na kasi sabi na nga ng ating kamaasan jihad na yun.
0: The uh, curfew and martial law kasi.
4: Um
0: maraming restrictions like sa ano controlled lahat ng ng ginagawa ng people
5: by the ano kung sino yung
0: nakakataas. Um martial law it was implemented by Ferdinand Marcos Sr. during ano, uh, his term. At ang alam ko, marami po siyang nilabag na human rights and marami din restriction na ginawa during that uh time. Uh, siguro, connect lang din natin sa narinig kong context on, uh, sa place ng Mindanao during martial era. So, narinig ko lang din from my friends na galing sa Davao na bloodshed um, talaga dun sa uh, place na kung saan during that era talaga is yung mga patayan is everywhere and parang maglalakad ka sa kalya na um, may patay dito may patay dyan. So ganun yung mga narinig ko and uh, dinagdagan niyo yun yung knowledge ko na talagang magalit dun sa pangyaring yun, yung uh, uh, time na yun. So malala talaga yung pangyari and hindi niya ma-whitewash ng current admin yung sinasabi na maayos ng time ngayon, which is hindi naman talaga. Kasi mayroong mga anecdotal evidences na uh, magulo yung time yun Ngayon,
4: ngayon no, in current context, parang nagiging controversial ngayon yung understanding with Marshall Doe kasi tumakalap ng disinformation, disinformation regarding it. Maraming nag-isabi na po dutila daw siya during those times. Pero in reality, there are documents na nag- like, bumaba yung economy natin, maraming inok-dok, uh, marami human rights violations so yun yung understand ko with Marsha no na to try siyang historically oh uh, para pero lang sobrang dark times i know lang po na, maraming cases na, like um, abducted ganun, and napatay po it- yung parang okay, pag, kwento para ang anak ko si Marcos hindi ko ay ginamit siyang parang justification ni Marcos para makuha niya yung power solely sa kanya and ang tanda ay ginamit niya sinasabi niya na para yun sa mga para pigilan yung mga communist acts where in fact ay may mga evidence na teenage niya yung ibang mga events para ma justify yung Marshalo at tili yung power nila for a very long time.
0: So as far as I understand uh sabi ni President Marcos is para sa labanan ang komunista pero the truth behind that politically is just to um, expand his power to remain in power to remain uh, in the top of uh, the political power here in the Philippines hindi lang basta military
4: ta so lahat sa tao hindi makagarol nang maayos yung mga markets uh, maayos na tao pa man or hindi, hindi, hindi mga coach, kasi syempre, ano ba yung maayos at hindi maayos para sa, na, sa people in power noong panahon na yun so syempre sila lang yun nakadeside kapag taliwas ka doon hindi, ano kanila under watchful
5: eye Marshal, September twenty one nineteen seventy two 1972 okay okay, dumuan tayo sa negative Eh, are Actually, are maraming, maraming, nabaw, nabawian ng buhay. maraming hindi pangarap. In fact, hindi na nakapag
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time.
5: yung iba from Holo nag sa ibang lugar kaya kung tignan natin noong panahon na yon, marami na nakapunta doon sa Iligan sa Cotabato Dabao Jinsan even do sa Manila kasi noong panahon na yon, hindi pa masyado yung pagdito ka sa city hindi masyado yung maramdaman yung impact ng masyado Kumpara sa probinsya kapatikulo sa Mindanao ay may lumalaban doon which is yun na yung mga eminilip ay nagkakaroon na parang malakas ang, ang masyado doon so Sa panahon na 'yon, yun, ay, kasi may nangman tanong ako mga ninuno namin, even nanay ko which is uh, I think ang sabi niya sa akin sa panahon na 'yon mga 12 years old pa lang siya, ah, sabi niya mahirap. Kasi ang hirap doon, yung lugar dinabaril, binobomba, pinakanyon. Alos hindi sabi na nga ng nanay ko hindi ka makaalabas. Kung may makita lang na nagaapoy-apoy, sunog-sunog sa, sa ano sa, sa gubat ide yung ano tit babarilin may canyon doon kasi ang panahon ng Marshallo na yon mayroong sa laut so pag may nakitang something sa sa ano sa island na yan paparilin kayong time na yon masyadong uh, masyadong dilemma masyadong problematic ang panahon na yon kaya tayong mga youth ngayong Mindanao salamat tayo hindi na din naabutan ni Marshallo sa sana hindi naman yari yon okay sa-, sa positive na naman Ah, uh, sa time na 'yon, alam natin, nababasa natin na si si Imelda, si si ano, si Ferdinand Marcos may purpose eh. niya, "Oh, gusto mo bang linisin ang ang Pilipinas? Gusto mo bang maging peaceful? Yun ang ginawa niya. So, even though, uh, overall, masasabi natin, wala pa ring positive sa ginawa ni lit Ferdinand Marcos.
2: What do you think about that, Ayesa?
3: Oh, it's a very good thing that you get to interview all these young people. Yeah, It's really an eye-opener. You know, how they admit what they know and what they don't know.
2: Yeah. And it seems like the only one who knew anything was the one who came from From my hometown, that that young man whose whose knowledge about what happened really came from from his parents. His parents were survivors of uh, of the fire. But uh, yes, I I keep thinking, you know, it's fifty years uh, since the fire, and uh, our peace process with the Moro National Liberation Front uh, is doing okay. The peace process, the peace agreement with the Moro-Islamic Liberation Front is doing okay as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's progressing. Do you think, ayesa it matters that we bring back what happened in the, uh, in the past or are we just opening old wounds? Well, I remember this
3: from Rizal. You know, because uh, all of us who studied in the Philippines since we were in high school at the university we have to study Rizal being our national hero, right? And there is this particular saying that's very popular and memorable. It says that ang hindi lumingon sa kanyang uh, ano ba yon <laughs> hindi lumingon sa kanyang nakaraan ay hindi makakarating sa kanyang panon uh, paroroona. So somebody uh, who does not want to remember his or her past will not be able to move forward a future. Okay, so definitely we want all this history, you know, including uh, our conflict history, you know, all the negative sides and the bad sides as well, you know, to be part of our history making. So now that we have finally achieved the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region in Muslim Mindanao, I'm really looking forward that Barn puts up a very good museum. Not only a museum for arts and heritage, but a conflict and peace history museum that includes the Holo Siege, that includes Marawi Siege and all those dark stories of our past because we want our younger people to learn and understand, you know, what happened in the past so that they will be more motivated, you know, to move forward and really help in National development, not only in Barm but all over the Philippines. So, including, you know, as we can see from the interviews, all other Filipino youths, whether they're Muslims or Bangsamoro or not, they should appreciate, you know, the kind of history that we have had in Mindanao, in Holo.
2: Yeah, I was just—I've uh, been thinking about that um, as I was remembering what happened during the battle of Holo and uh, the the very serious attempts of our uh, civil society to push for transitional justice. Uh, So much work that you were also involved in, right? Um, uh, Having discussions at the community level to bring out the truth because there can be no complete reconciliation between the communities, between the rebels and the state forces, if you do not acknowledge what happened and come to grips with it, at the end of the day, admit the truth of it, accept the faults, and have some kind of reconciliation. But that's not going to happen if we cover up the past or... If, as one of the young people uh, that we interviewed said, if there are attempts to rewrite the history. Because, Ayesa, when you go to Holo, you never saw it the way I saw it when I was growing up there. Our hometown was beautiful, you know, and peaceful. People who go to Holo are so scared now because they think it is a, a haven for terrorists and lawless people. But when I was growing up, can you imagine American tourists flying to Holo to, to enjoy the beach and enjoy the food and also, yes, to buy antiques because we had so much Chinese antiques in uh, in Hulua For at the time. Sure. Because, yeah, because we were trading, you know, we were trading with um, Indonesia, with Malaysia, uh, the trade with China span back hundreds of years. Yeah, so and all these
3: Chinese gangs like are coming into Hulu,
2: right? Yes. So when I think about what it was like growing up and how wonderful life was, and I see our situation today and realize that we were never really given the assistance that we needed to recover what we had lost, my heart just breaks. And when I think about the same thing happening in all these conflict areas, like, you know, the, the ordinary citizens of Gaza, they never asked for the violence to be visited upon them. What have they got to do with this kidnapping by Hamas? And yet at the end of the day, who suffered? It's the ordinary citizens of Gaza, the babies, the mothers, the, the young women, the old men.
3: So you know, Adina, you know, just now you were you know you were sharing to us you know how you remember uh, Hulo vividly, you know your wonderful years you know in in Hulo when you were growing up. It reminds me of how Basma, our Palestinian student, was also on our show, and she was telling us as well how beautiful. Gaza is to her, you know? So it's very it's similar that kind of feeling because for outsiders who are not uh, in the conflict-affected areas, to them they really look at conflict areas as you know it's it's an unusual area. It's ugly, maybe you know it's a violent area. So as you said, no nobody wants to go to that conflict area. But then for people like us who grew up in these conflict areas. And we, you know, it's our, you know, it's our hometown. So of course we feel naturally, um, you know, affected. You know, when people think of us as, you know, coming from a violent, uh, a violent society or community. So you know, it's it's really interesting that kind of uh, dynamics. You know, for people who grew up in conflict areas and those who do not know at all what was the conflict like in
4: many of our areas.
2: Yeah. And you and you and I, we are peace advocates, we are peace builders. So whatever trauma, whatever violence have been visited upon us, our communities, our families, we really try to process it internally, right? Because we know that if your spirit is filled with vengeance, retribution You're never going to get anywhere. You'll never get over it. You'll never move forward. That the only way to move forward is really to process what happened and accept what happened, but to make sure that the other side also accepts what happened so that we can reconcile. And what I'm rather happy about, Ayesa, and I'm sure that you are too, is that the process of reconciliation in our country between the Moro National Liberation Front and government, between the Moro Islamic Liberation Front and government, in spite of you know ups and downs in the peace processes, have actually finally, I think, resulted in something concrete, a strong foundation for peace, where government has finally accepted their responsibility and now are supporting autonomy for the Muslim uh, provinces in order for our people to stop our war for independence. But Ayesa, thinking about what happened 50 years ago in Holo and uh, listening to that young man from Holo recount his family's uh, remembrance, I still think, Ayesa, that there is Reconciliation still to be done because I don't really think many of the leaders who were responsible for what happened, not just to Holo, but in Maguindanao and in the other areas Marawi. of the, well Marawi came lately. I mean Marawi was safe during those years because their leader there was Ali de Maporo, who was a very strong supporter of President Marcos. So Marawi. Was never bombed. They were they were bombed only in twenty seventeen. Okay, but, yeah. But the reconciliation process, Ayesa, uh, uh, that is something I think that we still need to do. Don't you agree?
3: Very much so, Amina. <laughs> yeah, I while well, you are talking, I I was just also doing a self reflection. you are correct that. I remember when Samira, Jehan, and I were putting out, we're starting the Young Moral Professionals Network in Manila. And this was really the result of the all-out war in 2000 by the government, you know, attacking the MILF areas in, in in mainland Mindanao, And because of that, and Samira and I will be very busy attending public forum here and there. And we will be, you know, a bit, Agitated and really very aggressive when we talk. Of course, defending our people. And then I, and then when I finally moved to Malaysia and I was starting my academic life as a student, you know, I would attend all these international conferences. But the way I say things is still, uh, as my husband calls it or labels me, I'm an angry, <laughs> an angry person talking in an international conference on peace. So. He gave me this very good advice, you know, attend all these conferences, but you listen, you shut your mouth and you listen and, you know, absorb everything (laughs) that we are talking about, about your conflict area, learn from it. and 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 then you read your own history, be confident, you know, with your history, but learn how to use the language of peace and human rights. So that's how I you know I, I became uh, a scholar eventually you know because he was telling me even if you shout at the top of your voice they're not going to listen to you they're just going to think that you are a rebel leader <laughs> you know a professional a young professional trying to be an academic but nonetheless you are a rebel leader talking in your loud voice so there has to be you know, a way for you to develop the sophistication, use diplomacy, and use the language of human rights and peace. So that's how it was for me. And you are correct, Amina. Despite of all these years, that yes, we are doing peace work. We are also doing reconciliation work, even with our colleagues in human rights and peace network. You know, it's not hundred percent true, but everybody in this. Field are all pro-human rights and pro you know, uh, peace. You know there are still some biases, but at the same time, the more that we have to push and move forward and really not to be afraid to talk about sensitive issues, even amongst ourselves, because that's the only way that we can do this reconciliation. And yes, you're correct, we really need to do a lot more work. I think in the Philippines, it was good that we have uh, we have Bar now. But there's still more to be done, and this is really a perfect episode, you know, to to start reminding everybody that we have to look back and tell all these stories, and maybe come up with some institution and start rewriting all this history, you know, our our past experiences
2: of armed conflict and violence. Yeah, no, the I keep I keep thinking about that uh, smart alecky statement that young people used to say. Denial is a river in Egypt <laughs> because, because I think there are still many leaders today who are in denial about the role that government had all those uh, decades ago. As we remember uh the past, the siege of Polo, um the nineteen seventy-four siege of Polo. I know I can only I can only pray that the message that's going to be given and will be heard and will be learned by our young people and by those who have a role to play in securing peace in our communities, the lesson that they will learn is never again. What can we do to make sure that such a thing never again visits our community never again destroys economies and lives and divides our nations i look at gaza and i and i wonder how can those people say never again when the torment is still so fresh when the tragic uh, you know, aftermath is still so so fresh. I don't know, Ayesa. Sometimes, sometimes being a peace builder, Ayesa. Sometimes it's a lot to bear. So maybe I should go to Kada and spend a week with you and and just remove the stress. What do you think, Ayesa? I don't know, Amina,
3: because the weather is just too hot here. <laughs> And then at the same time, yeah, um, uh, we are very lucky in Malaysia that it's, you know, uh, here in Alastar, it's a quiet town. uh, So you get to enjoy your family time, you know, as as always. And just last weekend, uh, finally, I was able to bring my students to a field trip to this coastal area, just one hour away from our university. And my 47 students, you know, from all these 15 countries, they really enjoyed staying in the kampung, in the village, and they had an overnight with the foster family. So they were all so happy and very thankful and amazed that they said, oh, the the village people, you know, they were very warm to us and, and they were really trying their best to communicate in English. They, re- they really enjoyed their time in the rural area. So I was just glad that that, field trip turned out to be a very positive experience for my students. So here in Kedah it's a rural life. So yeah, I can bring you to the rural side of Malaysia, not the typical Kuala Lumpur with the skyscrapers, but the rural uh, side of uh, uh,
2: Kedah Malaysia which is also very wonderful. A place to do a retreat, meditation and yes, think yes. about a future where Incidents, if you can call it an incident, like the siege of Hullo in 1974, will never happen again. So,
4: but Amina,
3: China, but Amina, you mentioned that Sulu has these beautiful beaches. And I've been watching on my Facebook as well, all my friends who are opening all these beach restarts in Sulu. I would rather want to go back to Sulu. I've been to a beach somewhere in Sulu one time, yeah, but I didn't really get to enjoy it during that time because it was a rush trip. To... So instead, we should be doing all this retreat in Sulu. What do you say, Amina?
2: <laughs> well, you're, uh, you're brave because you're Mindanaoan, so you think nothing of it. But remember, Ayesa, there are travel advisories still about going to Sulu because the threat is still there from terrorists and uh, violent extremists. And all of this would never have been our condition today if only what happened in 1974 did not happen to us. It was downhill all the way. And I think our local leaders in Sulu are trying their very best to get us out of the dire situation that we were in. So more power, more power to them for trying to bring us out of um, this condition that was not of our making. Anyway, it's 50 years hence. I'm going to probably spend the day in, in prayer and meditation because I still... Think about the worries that we had, not knowing what happened to my three brothers, not knowing what happened to my Auntie Nenita and her baby, your friend Fatima and Fatima's brothers, uh, Mex, uh, Shah and uh, Al Karim. Oh, I never want to go back to those days. But anyway, dear listeners, those of you who are listening to us and have been watching what's going on in Gaza, do you know, spare a thought, good wishes, a prayer for all of those who are in similar conditions and a prayer that never again should it happen. Right, Ayesa?
4: Yes, Amina.
3: And for all our listeners uh, in here in She Talks, please, we would also want to encourage you to send us your comments, or any suggestions that you may have for our future episodes. You can actually send us an email at peace at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So Amina, shall we say goodbye for now? But this is a really a great episode commemorating the Holocaust
2: Siege after 50 years. Yeah. And um, I think I'm going to try and find out if I can come over to, to Kedah and just well, you're get welcome. That. anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Ayesa. dear listeners. Thank you for sharing this time with us, and I hope that you have gotten something out of our sharing. And I, I thank the young people who agreed to be interviewed for our video. And meanwhile, this is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying bye for now, keep safe, and enjoy the coming warm weather.
3: This is Ayessa here in Alostar Kedah. Until next time, see you again here at She Talks Peace.
1: Bye, Amina. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, Check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program or other programs of the network.